0: The Big Silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times best-selling author and founder of the nonprofit The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I'll sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody
1: in the house know what I'm talking about. The big
0: silence, the big silence. Hello, and welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. It's me, Karina Dawn. Excited to have you back for another episode just want you to know I'm recording this intro from my phone in a closet because I'm not in my podcast studio right now. And so the sound is not perfection, but I promise once you get to the podcast, it'll sound much better. Bear with me here. A couple of announcements. Um, If you're in the Austin area on June 29th, 2023, and you want to do something really cool and fun at the Austin Soho house. Um, It's a membership club here in Austin, but you do not have to be a member for this event if you RSVP at our Eventbrite link, It is in honor of Men's Mental Health Month, which is the month of June. And if you know my friend James Nicholas Kinney, you just heard the song, The Big Silence, Breathe In, Breathe Out. Uh, He wrote that song and recorded it for us. And he does something called The One Man Show you do not want to miss it. It's a mental health show that includes really deep thought and connection and expression mixed with music and comedy and your girl Karina here is the MC and host and I'm going to kick it off with a nice long talk about unconditional love and what that means. And then James is going to take you through a whole variety show. You don't want to miss it. So we will put the link to RSVP in the show notes or you can go to thebigsilence.com and click on our events page and you can RSVP there. It it is very limited for those who are not Soho House members. So make sure you go there now and RSVP. Oh, and you don't want to miss, I'm just going to say this now too, you do not want to miss next week's episode. I am about to, uh, tomorrow I am filming an AMA with Bobby Goldstein, he is coming back as your host next week. in AMA. I was on my social media at Karina Dawn, asking last week, like, what is what are your questions that you have for for me for us in general? So about to do that one. So make sure you come back next week. And into today's guest, Dr. Amy Cruz. Shout out to Cami Miller. Um, she is a Tiu girl for a very long time. We reconnected at the gym. Um, at Collective here in Austin. And she introduced us to Dr. Amy Cruz. She's the general partner and chief investment officer of Satori Neuro. So shout out to Randy Eisenman, too, who is one of the co-founders of Satori Capital. Got to fly up to Dallas and hang out with Cami and Randy one day and see all of Randy's biohacking instruments. It was incredible. And then got introduced to Dr. Amy Cruz. So again, she's the general partner and chief investment officer of Satori Neuro, which is a part of Satori Capital. It's a mental health fund. It's a venture fund focused on mental health, neurotechnology, human flourishing. Amy leverages her decades of experience as a neuroscientist. Amy's brilliant. I love this conversation, the few times that I've talked to Amy, but she leverages her experience as a neuroscientist and her prior roles as an operator and government program manager to discover transformational companies addressing the largest mental health, brain health, wellness challenges, and opportunities. So she also draws her expertise to support Satori Neuro's portfolio companies As they evaluate and overcome scientific implementation challenges, this is a really cool conversation. The work that Amy is doing is incredible. She's also sits on the board of several Prime mover Lab portfolio companies, including Paradromics, which was cool to talk to her about because Bobby and I actually invested in Paradromics as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and of course, as always, share with anyone you feel that would love this and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Much love. Hope to see you on June 29th in Austin. Dr. Amy Cruz is on the Big Silence Podcast. Hello. Good to see you again.
1: Yeah, great to see you too.
0: Yeah, so I was introduced to Dr. Amy Cruz through Satori Capital. Cammy, shout out to Cammy, a big long time tone it up girl uh, that we've reunited here in Texas and introduced me to Satori Capital and then Satori Neuro, where you had that fun. So I don't know even where to begin. Last time we talked, there was so much information and conversation that you're just. Brilliant. And I love the work that you're doing in the mental health space and now being an investor in the mental health space. So, maybe talk a little bit to begin with your work and your background.
1: It's been an exciting journey, actually. I started out as a scientist and a neuroscientist. So I have my PhD in neuroscience. I always knew I wanted to be a scientist, even when I was a kid. So, it was how sort did of you know a, that? Like, what did you do I, as a kid that was
0: just like, I'm I'm a scientist at age 5.
1: Yeah, so so everything from just like uh, really curious about the way things worked, like curious about nature, I think it was a lot about you know the books I read when I was a kid and and I was like, "Oh, I want to be like a secret government scientist and I want a secret lab and I like built a little secret chemistry lab in my basement, you know <laughs> you know so it was very influenced by like the books I read and just sort of my natural curiosity so that's so um, interesting
0: too, because I was the same. The kid in the basement, and I ran businesses. <laughs> I ran a restaurant in my basement. I made food for my parents, and it was like mud I got from the backyard and they had to buy it from me. i had a I was a teacher, I had a school. yeah, it's like the imagin- the kid's imagination in the
1: basement, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was that imagination that kind of brought me out of the basement and into uh, under, undergrad. And I w- I majored in cell biology and then kind of halfway through undergrad kind of discovered neuroscience. And it was kind of like, it was, I don't know, it was like, it's. I describe sometimes like really getting attached to science. A scientific concept is a little bit like the same feelings of like falling in love. Like, you know, you're like, you get like, oh, oh, this is it. Like, this could be, this could be the thing, you know? And so I felt that way when I started, you know, kind of figuring out what neuroscience was. And it was like, oh, I could work on, you know, you could work on this forever. Like the brain is like this incredible mystery and you can work on it forever, you know? And so that was really what kind of drew me into neuroscience. And then um, part of what kind of happened during graduate school is I realized that I, I I wanted to do something applied with that research, right? Like I wanted to really like use it. And that kind of took me a, a down a pathway of not going into academia, but actually, you know, starting to work in a more applied space. And, and that was what kind of led me to the, the work that I did with the Department of Defense and as Can a program we manager. Can talk about that
0: more? Because after like, oh, we got of off course. the phone
1: last time, I was like, I want to hear more about this. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. So, so I joined as a program manager, a government program manager at DARPA. And for folks who don't know, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. It's sort of the high risk high reward um really investment arm you know research fu- funding arm of the of the DOD and i had never like i wasn't from a family that like had military experience or bad. like that that was just not something i knew about and so a, a colleague had a colleague that i went to graduate school had kind of brought me into that space and i was so fascinated by it because i was like oh my gosh here are these really hard seemingly almost intractable problems and we're going to use science to solve that. <laughs> like this is the, this is like, you know, you can imagine the little kid in the basement, right? The little kid in the basement thought like Dartha, this this is the best thing ever, <laughs> right? And so, you know, so so anyway, that that really for me started this this career in looking at ways of using neuroscience and neurotechnology initially to improve human performance, right? So to accelerate learning and training in military environments to prevent sleep deprivation or ameliorate the Side effects of of sleep deprivation. Looking at complex decision making and like what is happening in the brain when when you know when an individual makes like a really challenging decision and how can you you know how can we use this technology to best support them and so built quite a few programs in that in that space and put a lot of put a lot of money to work the government's money to work uh, sort of doing that so so that
0: brings me so let's talk about sleep and brain health because this has been in the past two days with friends of mine were talking about the importance of sleep and some health issues coming up in a friend uh, who hasn't been sleeping well. So let's talk about the importance of sleep.
1: Yeah. Well, so sleep is, I tell people in terms of human performance, um, there's really three things, sleep, uh, exercise, and nutrition, right? And those I put them in that order kind of for a reason. Sleep is is the foundation of brain health. And if folks are gonna work on one thing, I always say sleep is sleep is the thing because it actually, so it impacts sort of what's happening cognitively, right, in, in our systems. Um, it interacts with what's happening metabolically in our systems, right? Um, there's definitely um, evidence around, um, you know, cognitive impairment or other things maybe being related to disruptions in in sleep and and that th- those kinds of things and so um yeah i'm just I'm like a hundred percent in on um sleep health sleep hygiene um and and all of those things and so you know we we looked at um what happens when when people are sleep deprived uh, certainly in a military context but also in in non-military context and it's you know it's it's like you're you know you're impaired if you're sleep deprived you you are impaired um and uh even more from an exciting perspective you know there are qualities to sleep if you think about you know the the stages of sleep you've heard about you know there's slow wave sleep there's rem sleep those stages of sleep actually have different beneficial uh contributions to to the brain. And so like slow wave sleep is thought like it helps kind of clear out the brain, it kind of helps clear the gunk, you know, out of the out of the brain that builds up over um over time as we, you know, just function during the day. And then there's REM sleep which is has been correlated with, you know, memory consolidation and actually, you know, uh helping us um, you know, helping us consolidate important memories and important events throughout the day. And so you know, sleep is sort of, it it, it it sometimes can feel like this big, like amorphous thing, but it's actually like the brain is actually doing some very specific tasks during sleep, which makes it so interesting and important. And, and the other thing is that how incredible it is that it's conserved across so many species. Right, like you know, it's like it's not just like oh, humans sleep and nobody else is sleeping. Like everyone, <laughs> you know my mean? Like, my
0: pomeranians love
1: to sleep. And, yeah, and then they, you know, but it's that really con- it's yeah. really conserved. And yeah. so when when nature conserves something, it typically conserves something that has a really important role. Um, and so that's been you know in in terms of even the work that we've funded, right, you know, that, that we've invested in um, both at, the uh, you know, the previous um, fund that I was at and now the, the, the things that we're looking at now, sleep is at the top of the list for um, both in terms of monitoring, um, are there mechanisms and methods, you know, non-invasively that we can uh, use to enhance sleep? Um, can we track people's sleep and get them back to sleep? Like, these are These are at the top of my list as an investor of things that I'm looking at.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so important, too, because I used to sleep like a freaking baby. And then pandemic hit, everybody's sleep was, for some reason, everyone's up at 3 a.m., just like up. And so now it's like, I have to sleep train myself again. (laughs) So what are the best ways for your brain health and to make sure you're getting the best sleep? whether it's nutrition, fitness, how you go to bed, your your environment.
1: Let's take them kind of in in a little bit of order. I would say the first thing you've probably heard of the term of sleep hygiene, right? It's sort of it's sort of how you go to bed and the environment and and timing and everything. Um you know, as we age, um sleep gets more disrupted unfortunately. Oh, okay, so now it makes sense yeah, yeah. Like, as we sleep age, like sleep a baby more, that
0: that's the term no
1: no no i mean sleep gets more disrupted and so and so you know many people find that um that you know they wake up earlier or they wake up at a more consistent time and so if you really want to target that seven to eight hours of sleep most people need to go to bed earlier and for a lot of people that's challenging but but that is one tool in the toolkit right that we have is is sort of you know controlling that. The second is um light. Obviously, the darker the room, whether that's sleeping with eye shades, whether that's using blackout curtains, um that's really important because you know, you probably know this if you've ever sat on the beach and, you know, you you close your eyes, but you can see how bright it is outside, right? Like we actually get light through our eyelids. And so just closing your eyes isn't enough, you know, making sure that things are really dark is is really critical because part of light is part of what um, signals some of our natural, um, natural rhythms. The other thing is temperature. So um, many people find that Um, either reducing the room temperature while they sleep or using some type of chilling blanket or mattress pad or something like that can be very beneficial. Um, there, you know, I, I don't know how many, you know, I haven't looked at all the studies involved, but a lot of people think that that can help with, um, with deep sleep and and enhancing deep sleep because that's the point in time in the in the sleep cycle when the temperature dips you know in our bodies and we kind of go into that sort of cleansing mode versus you know activity mode um obviously whatever you're doing in terms of caffeine um other stimulants before bed, you know, I personally am very sensitive to caffeine. And so I don't have caffeine after like 11 in the morning, right? Because I know that as I have it into the afternoon and and that includes all kinds of stimulants, right? It's not just caffeine. It's, you know, it's other things that, um, that people might be ingesting. It's really, car- you know, you have to be careful. What about are those
0: put- other stimulants?
1: Because there's probably some pe- things that people are ingesting that they don't realize it's affecting Yeah, well, I mean, people don't even know like how much how much caffeine there could be caffeine in chocolate. Mm -hmm. Right there. Yeah, a little dessert. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Sugar not in the stimulant category, but in the, in the, in the a little bit more of a downer category, but something that also affects sleep alcohol before bed, right. Can, have, can impact um, both resting heart rate as well as the quality of, of sleep structure. And so when we talk about sleep hygiene, it's not just, you know, getting into bed, it's also what you're ingesting and when you're ingesting things during the day, um, you know, that, that definitely have an impact. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of sort of, you know, very up, upper energy drinks and things like that, because I do think they can, they have more than, you know, what you'd normally consume from a cup of coffee and, and things like that. But yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. So I want to shift this to an interesting conversation I've been having with a lot of people too. Yes. This is uh, mental health
1: and psychedelics. Mm. Your, Absolutely. Your thoughts. Yes. Yes. So I've been in this space, watching this space, investing in this space for um, for a few years now. And I think it's incredibly exciting. Can you explain like when we say psychedelics for
0: medicine, what
1: that is? When we're thinking about psychedelics and psychedelics for medicine, we're talking specifically about using those compounds Um Many times we're talking about um psilocybin, you know, which comes from from mushrooms. Um, some people have talked about LSD, um, MDMA, which is of course a, 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 a synthetic, but also um can be grouped in with that. Ketamine, again, a, a different molecule, but often grouped in with um psychedelic medicine. Um, the purpose of using these medicines is to do really two things. One is to um Give people a transformative experience um, that you know. Some people call a reset. Some people call you know. It's just it's kind of an opening of um, the nervous system and the processing of that individual. To maybe it's work on trauma. Maybe it's you know um, you know work on depression and, and things like that. Um, so so when we're talking about especially about those traditional, um, we'll. T- come back to later talking about sort of not new things that are happening but thinking about those traditional molecules in the context of a therapeutic context right so you're somebody is taking a medicine um let's just say we're going to use psilocybin as an as an example um they're going to do that in a very um safe set and setting right with two therapists there and 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 have that journey um and and Begin hopefully to to work on um, whatever whatever intention they have brought to to working on that. The second thing is that we now know that in addition to those hallucinogenic right reset experiences that people may be having, again, let's say in the context of psilocybin, that it also induces neuroplasticity in the brain. And so, one of the cool things about that is, as individuals are doing the work of what we call integration or the therapeutic work that happens after a perhaps much larger reset experience, experience you're really allowing the brain to um consolidate those new changes and new patterns right that that the therapeutic experience may have opened and i think that is part of what's really exciting right because it's not just hey i i had a you know sort of psychedelic journey and i did this thing but like the brain is still kind of open to work, right? And, and engaging in, um, you know, therapy and an integration after that point is, is, you know, one thing that people think is part of the beneficial elements of um, engaging in psychedelic medicine.
0: Okay. I'm going to ask some questions, might be odd, but not really odd. But okay, so as a teenager, and I went, you know, through my own 10 years of, I would say, situational depression, grew up with a schizophrenic mother, this and that. So I turned to drugs. And I'm like, I did so much ketamine, LSD, MDMA. Like, I did it all. So I must, maybe that's what healed me. I didn't get schizophrenia. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just, and so I haven't, like, dabbled in that. You know, um, I know a lot of people who have done, like, psilocybin. They come out here to Austin and do a lot of treatments here. Um, But, like, what is the difference between going to assisted versus, like, someone's going out I don't know and having their own MDMA experience right. and things they yeah. you know yeah 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 discovered everything.
1: Well, I think I mean I think part of part of what the difference is well consistency in dosing, right? Cuz what's happening right now is these molecules are going through clinical trials, right? So part of what is powerful about the research that's happening now is these compounds are, you know, outside of the context of clinical research trials, the schedule one compounds, right? So the whole work of the community is to demonstrate their clinical utility and then kind of like the best way to to use them in a therapeutic context. And so I would say that the difference between someone, you know, using it perhaps recreationally or or using it in a you know quasi-therapeutic way is you're you not might not be sure, you know, what exactly what dose you're getting oh. or exactly what or molecule what, you're, you know, yeah, and, what's yeah. In and, there? Yeah. And, right. And and there is uh, you know, the I it, it'd be hard to find someone in the community who would say that that set and setting that being in that space with therapeutic guides who know how to bring you through that experience and and going through that in a safe way um, is really part of what allows for the letting go and the you know release of of trauma or release of of whatever you know individuals are dealing with and so you know while I well, while certainly there's been you know recreational use for a really long time I think I think what we're doing is building up this real deep understanding of of the molecules and the doses and the and the and the therapeutic um regimes that give the best outcome right because you could have you could have a great outcome doing it recreationally and you could have a really bad outcome and you know and and having that um have a little bit of structure to it I think is really really critical
0: yeah so i had to educate when my mom was diagnosed with schizophrenia, I had to educate myself. My mom did a lot of drug use as well as a teenager. Um and I've always read or heard that it can if you have mental illness in your your genes, your DNA, that sometimes drug use can alter your brain chemistry. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, certainly one of the contraindications <laughs> for hallucinogenic experiences is is people who have had psychotic episodes or schizophrenia or other things because there is a there is a, a risk or a danger that instead of you know a hallucinogenic experience taking you to someplace good or cathartic, it could actually unleash something um, you know negative. And I don't think we know yet the brain like I don't think we have mapped out the brain chemistry around why that happens in certain individuals and why it doesn't happen in certain individuals. Right, but, because
0: my mom had, you know, it's very situational. Her, My grandfather also had schizophrenia, but then it like skipped a generation. And by all means, I probably have done more drugs than my mom ever did. And when I was a teenager, <laughs> sorry, dad, my dad listens to every podcast. He's like, got it, learn something new every week. <laughs> But uh, I just you know I know it's so interesting to me like what in each individual person and in our brains like how certain things affect or don't affect like maybe it
1: was good that I did that many drugs maybe <laughs> I don't know right right no right you know it's inter- it's interesting that you mentioned that that personalization because that's actually something that I've been I've become really curious about as we've started to um, invest a little bit deeper in the mental health space is sort of this. Um, the term of art is sort of precision psychiatry, right? And so it's like, okay, your brain and your brain chemistry and your genetic makeup is different than my brain and my brain chemistry and my genetic makeup. And so if you take, um, you know, an antidepressant, you it may be great for you and it may not work for me. We've learned enough to say, and we, we know this across the board, even, you know, let's say outside of psychiatry, it's like, you know, why are there 10 different blood pressure medications? Because, you know, not everybody's chemistry is the same and some people respond better to others. And I think, I think we've had, you know, in, in psychiatry or in, in mental health, it's, it feels like it's been like a real experimental kind of blunt instrument approach and I think we're starting to get into this precision space where we're like okay I can understand your brain chemistry like I can understand maybe if there are genetic you know predispositions that you have that make you like say we put you on Prozac you might not respond like you know what I mean like that knowing that like why would you put people through the experience of having to go on a drug and not work and then you have to wash out the drug and then you try something else like it's so I mean like as a human like that's an incredibly frustrating uh process right and we have to do better
0: so say before you go into some kind of therapy with psychedelics or whatever do you do what tests do you do if any do doctors do anything do you do brain scans blood work anything yeah they
1: right now none none of that um but I think that's coming right I think that's coming because I think people realize, like, how powerful those data sources are are going to be. Like, you have the general, like, background screening and, and things like that. Obviously, they're, you know, um, but yeah, I think this to me is something that's coming. and we should, we should use it and, and do better. So I'm watching that space closely.
0: I didn't even know that was a space. It's my question. I know. I'm see, like, right? That's why I'm like, I'm like. I, 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 know, I have like, no education in this. And I'm like, shouldn't you just scan scan the brain and do some blood work and see and do the science?
1: and <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, how powerful would it be to know, you know, that about yourself? I don't know. I, I think it, I mean... I don't know. For and those then, of us that are curious about our brains, I guess. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. And like what treat, like eventually science could figure out like what treatment and what cocktail of a medication actually works best if you have all that data. And I don't even know what I'm talking about, but you get what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, no, more no. data
0: is good. And then maybe we can get to the source and the cure faster.
1: Right. Well, and that's, and that's the other thing. If you think about, um, if you've heard individuals that have suffered from treatment-resistant depression, right? Treatment-resistant depression, I think is you have to have field like three frontline treatments or something like that. You know what I mean? Like if you think about what individuals have to go through to get access to cutting edge treatments, right? Like we need more, we need more options, right? So I talk about it like a toolkit, right? Like like we've talked about psychedelic medicine um there's also really cool stuff happening in in neurostimulation with um uh transcranial magnetic stimulation and maybe low intensity focused ultrasound like we're we're coming up with all these ways to um yeah to to like do good i would say work on the brain good work on the brain right and and knowing how to match the individual to the right piece in that toolkit i think is what's going to really cause a revolution in access to Mental health care.
0: So I want to now talk about you, female investor and Satori Neuro and the development of investors really interested in mental health, which I have found through the Big Silence, because I I through Tone It Up and such, I work with a private equity and they invest in that. But I, since starting the Big Silence and mental health, have had many reach outs from private equity having interest in what I'm doing in the mental health space. And I've, and I love this because it's not just, you know, we talk about fitness and nutrition and sleep, and it's really about mental health. And I feel like there's like something big coming.
1: Yes, there is, there is something big coming, right? And I think there's something big coming because the th- like it feels to me like the threads are finally coming together, right? Like you have, um, we have the stuff that's happening in therapeutics. We have the stuff that's happening with brains and brain stimulation. You have the stuff that's happening with wearables and how, um, you know, kind of things are getting a little bit more embedded in our in our day-to-day uh you know you have acts you have new mechanisms of access to care through telehealth and teletherapy and peer support networks and clinics and um and you have this precision psychiatry piece that we're that we're talking about it's just such a rich space like there's there's a lot of opportunity here right and there are a lot of i've found you know i've Through participating, obviously, in some accelerator work that I've done and mentoring and, you know, working with founders, like there are a lot of founders as well in this space who have lived experience, who feel very strongly and very passionately about about creating something. And so I think you have this, the science working in your favor, you know, you have the, you have this cadre of CEOs and founders who, who are super passionate about it and want to see it happen. And then you, you have the capital, <laughs> the capital coming in, right. And, and hopefully, you know, making, making, making things happen.
0: So can you talk about more like what your your plan is with Satori Noura? I want to know, and I want to partake. I'm coming to your island. <laughs>
1: yeah so so what we're up to and and this is you know this is exciting because it's it's something new right so I'm creating something from from scratch at at Satori um for me it all has you know I sort of talked about you know my my history and my whatever like it has the everything through the lens of the brain like I want everything that we look at to have you know, great scientific grounding and just be really anchored in that. Even if it's not a really science solution, like it has to have that that sort of piece in it. Mental health for us is obviously the most pressing challenge and the, and the biggest issue. So I kind of call that like the pointy end of the sphere. But neurodegeneration and cognition are really closely related. You know, I've done work obviously for a long time in human performance. To me, it's, in a way, it's all one big piece, and you know what you're going after, and the application space that you're going after um, is is critical. But if you think about it from a brain perspective, these a lot of these networks and these things are are closely related. And so, as you know, we kind of wander into that space. Like I said, we're um, very focused on novel therapeutics. So that in the both in the psychedelic medicine space as well as in in other drug development. Elements that we're looking at. I've built great relationships with a lot of companies over time, and so it's been really interesting to see and watch the maturity of that space. Now, you know, these companies are bringing their um, their work into clinic, and we're starting to see some data. I suspect big pharma is going to be very interested because they haven't, you know, made any investments in the space in a very long time. Um, and then on the brain, the brain health and wellness piece, you know, neuro, like I said, neurostimulation. So the use of, of, you know, electricity, magnets, focused ultrasound, and other things to um, change the state of the brain non-invasively. This actually anchors back to some work that I did at DARPA. So when we were at DARPA, uh, one of the programs was called Accelerated Learning, and the um, the goal of the program was sort of ask the question, like, do the brains of experts look different than the brains of novices? And if so, how? And could you do something about that? And so we discovered that, yes, indeed, the brains of novices and experts do look different. And one of the teams that was working on the program said, I wonder if you could use electrical stimulation and put that energy into the brain and actually kind of like turn up the gain or turn up the signal on perception, like somebody perceiving like threats and stuff in the environment and, and everything else like that. Um, so we showed that that was, that was true, that was possible. And that was some of the first, what was called transcranial direct current stimulation that, that had been used to look at human performance. And since then, folks have replicated that work with electricity. In terms of depression, I don't know if you're um, familiar with this work or not, but there's something called repeated transcranial magnetic stimulation. So they essentially use a magnetic coil and stimulate very specific parts of the brain. And more recently, data out of uh, Stanford and other spaces showed that RTMS, that protocol that they had developed, could actually be used in treatment resistant depression and, and treating it without drugs, which is like... Super cool.
0: But is that available for the public through health insurance? Through, like, can you get those treatments?
1: Yeah. So you can get, there's a, there's a approved sort of slower form of TMS that is kind of like more sessions. And then there's this new compressed TMS that they are hoping could be done within like a week's time frame. But there are clinics out there. There are um, TMS clinics out there that do both the uh, sort of longer protocol as well as the accelerated protocol. But we're just at like, I mean, for me, this is like, we're just at the beginning. Then there's the
0: question of like health insurance. Does yes. It, it, it does.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. And that's interesting because I think certainly there's a lot happening that's in the cash pay world with all these things. Um, and then there are the folks who are really leaning in on, you know, reimbursability and trying to have those things be paid, even even for ketamine and even, you know, uh, the TMS treatments and things like that.
0: Like ketamine and psychedelics, does health insurance cover that stuff? Or No, oh, no. not yet. Okay, I was going to say, no. <laughs> I, I'm just asking questions. I'm like, I have no clue.
1: <laughs> it's interesting. Well, so I do think, so, so actually I take that back because certainly um, the work that, Um, Has been done with Spravado, which is the um, inhalable form of ketamine. Um, That is something that has received uh, reimbursability. And, you know, that is a treatment that is really, you know, people are starting to learn how to use now. And I think it's really kind of coming into the fore. So I think we're in this space where a lot of it has been cash pay, a lot of it has been out of pocket. And, Both in terms of the clinics figuring out how to make these things reimbursable and accessible through health insurance and folks who are actually coming up with novel insurance sort of products. Think about how fertility went, right? Like, you know, your United Healthcare or whatever doesn't cover fertility treatments, right? They're typically they've been cash pay and now some corporations and other things want to provide that as a benefit to their employees. And so you I think you're going to start seeing um these types of access to mental health care, not just psychedelics, psychedelics included, but you know, psychedelics, ketamine, rtm like I think you're going to see mental health care as a benefit the way that we've seen fertility become a benefit for employees. Like it's that important.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why even with the Big Simons Foundation, we're trying the therapy for all program where like some insurance doesn't even cover therapy and basic therapy. So I think it's so important to have that available. And so what is your opinion too with mental health and those who don't have resources, don't have insurance? Where do you see that going in today's society in your opinion on the mental health deserts and how we can help those who have no resources?
1: I was encouraged, I use this statistic, like I was encouraged by what happened with like telehealth and teletherapy and the use of those services during COVID. So all remote care, you know, went up, I don't know, 40% or something like that during COVID. Everything else went back down and the utilization of telehealth and, and teletherapy stayed up for mental health coverage. And so... I mean, I've seen, you know, even from companies that I've seen, I've seen a lot of peer-to-peer support. So where the peers get trained, they're not necessarily providing licensed clinical social worker, you know, psychologist-type therapy, but they're providing a care support system and an access to care and then, you know, second-line stuff that I think is really interesting. I wonder if we're going to see more of a community peer support element because we don't have enough therapists as it is. No. Oh my
0: gosh. No, I do um, corporate wellness and there's a company that has 140,000 employees and they have one therapist that they can talk to. Yeah. There aren't enough therapists for sure. No.
1: Well, and actually it's interesting that you mentioned that because therapist training both from a psychedelic medicine perspective as well as therapist training in general, I think is a, is someplace that we're going to see development and advancement and like we have to. Right? Yeah, like a,
0: definitely. And therapist as in licensed and yeah. a psychiatrist, not, you know, just like a coach of some sort. It's really important. Yes. Yeah. yes, absolutely. So, okay. What are three top tips you would give for mental health? I know we know the sleep and fitness and nutrition, but If anyone listening here, how to take care of my brain health, my
1: mental health, what are the top three tips? One thing we haven't mentioned yet, um, which I think is is a great one to include in this category is something around meditation and mindfulness. That is actually how I got interested in psychedelic medicine because I realized that like the same brain networks and structures that were kind of involved in meditation were some of these, like it was, it's really interesting that the conservation of some of these these brain areas and, and networks. And so for me, that meditation and, and mindfulness piece is really critical because it does also cause long-term positive brain changes and benefits that I think, Can you know, you, are, are yeah,
0: really up- I'm a huge... Advocate of meditation, trained under Deepak, and can you explain what happens to the brain when you meditate? For everyone's like, oh, I can't meditate. I'm like, do it for two minutes. Like, even the shift that happens is immediate. Yeah. What happens in the brain when you meditate?
1: Yeah. So there are two. There are two things. One is both immediately as well as over time. I call it the you know the monkey mind network, the default mode network. You know, eventually calms down. Right, and so there's a network in your brain that you know is sort of like you're, you're the idol of your car, right? It just kind of keeps running, it keeps running, and it's what kind of what what creates that chatter. As you learn to quiet your mind, that chatter goes down, and it's very very beneficial. The second thing that happens in meditation, and this is particularly if you're in a in a meditation style where you uh, focus on something, you focus on your breath, or you focus on the the sensation of something it trains your brain's attention system so that you're actually able to focus better over time on information, stimuli, etc. And so every time, even though people are like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to count my breath and then I get to like eight and I forgot. It's literally the act of Reminding, it's the the act of returning to the breath, the redirecting of attention that is one of the things that's so beneficial for the brain. And so I would say it does two things, right? It does, but does a lot of things. But, (laughs) but, but you know, in terms of quieting the mind and quieting the nervous system down, as well as sort of honing and training our attention system, which is so needed in this life and day and age of of all the things that come from our phones and our computers and everything else. Okay. Two other things, simple things, nature. Being in nature, it calms the nervous system. It, it ties us into, again, if you think about, you know, things we've been talking about, it's obviously there are very, very large, very numinous experiences that people can have, but, but in terms of tapping into that sense of awe and uh something bigger than us i think you know that's that's definitely something that's really critical and then i would i i'm kind of going to glump two things together at the end here because they fall into sort of like a sensory piece but like music healing touch you know these things that are so kind of fundamental to us as humans sharing music, hearing music, obviously in the context of even uh, psychedelic medicine, many people think that the the music that's played is part of, you know, an intrinsic part of the healing experience, but there are other ways to sort of access that, you know, um, as well as, you know, sort of healing healing touch, whether that's, you know, as simple as a massage or as, or as simple as, you know, holding someone's hand or your own, you know, own self-care. In that space, I think, is really critical. We are, as humans, you know, really integrated sensory motor little beings and to be healthy humans. I think we need to address all of those things about us.
0: Yeah. And those it's actually quite simple. I mean, how about we go outside and meditate? I know some people sometimes DM me because I speak about nature a lot and they're like, but I live in the middle of the city and this and that. I'm like, well, just, I don't know, look up at the sunshine or if you're living in Seattle and it's cloudy, just feel the breeze. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge gardener, right? Like yeah. for me, like playing in the dirt, putting my hands in the dirt, hundred, like it literally grounds Grounding, me, right? Yeah. Like I just, and that's something, you know, I, I've lived in the city, I've had, you know, three plants on the window, like even touching those plants, like being with those, or smelling the herbs or whatever, like there are some just beautiful sensory ways for us to interact with, you know, with, with nature that I think are so healing for, for us as, you know, overdriven. overdriven digital
0: monkeys (laughs) that we are and I'm drawn to water like if I'm stressed if I just the ocean a lake I don't care like just putting my hands in a pool like I wake up and I walk out in nature and like put my feet in water I don't know why, I just feel good
1: yeah, yeah. I, I just I just had my birthday and my husband said to me, What, you know, what do you want to do on your birthday? And I was like, I need to be on the water. So we went kayaking uh, in Hawaii that that morning of my birthday, the dolphins, you know, jumping out of the water and spinning. And I was like, This is how I want to spend my birthday, right? Like I don't need anything else. I just need
0: this. So, I know we are in that yeah. digital time and we forget we don't have to grind until 2 a.m. and not sleep we need to sleep, we need to be in nature. We can um, actually, if you take, obviously, you know, take care of yourself first, then you can do your job better. You can be a better parent, wife, husband, partner, all those things. We just got to get back there, you know? All right. Well, Dr. Amy, for anyone who wants to find more brilliant
1: information from you, where can we go? You can go to the Satori Capital website. Um, I'm on there. I'm also on LinkedIn. Easy way to find me. But yeah, just just look me up. Have a conversation.
0: And we'll put it all in the show notes too. And Satori has some really good brand, Um I actually just opened a box from Satori today. Oh,
1: yes. Yes.
0: It's yes. such a magical box. I know. <laughs> I got some bath salts from higherness. I got, what is it, the cheddars? cheddies? Yeah, or Oh, you oh to- <laughs> Those are dangerous. Oh, <laughs> are I know. so good. I know. They're yummy. But, They're so good.
1: All right, Dr. Amy, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Beautiful conversation. Breathe in, breathe out.
0: Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Here's to radical self-love
1: The type of love that will defeat anxiety The type of love that defeats depression This is the one life, this is the moment This is the time to dig in To be who you already are The Big Silence